We all want to be free. Maybe you identified with one of the, uh, the signs that was on the shirts um, this morning. Maybe you saw that. But we've, we all want to be free from something. We want to be set free. And this new series is called Set Me Free. And we're going to be talking about how to be free. Lots of people want to be free from lots and lots of things. When we feel trapped, when we're stressed, when we're overwhelmed. If you've ever felt trapped with something, then this series is for you. If you've ever felt trapped, maybe you feel trapped by someone else in your life. Maybe you feel trapped by a job or a situation. Maybe you feel trapped by a cycle of behavior in your own self that you just can't stop or get away from, and you desperately want to be free. This is the series for you. But before we could talk about how to be free and what it, what it looks like to walk in freedom, we have to ask ourselves a question. And this might seem like a ridiculous question, but it's not. What is freedom? What exactly is freedom? And our knee-jerk reaction to this question is, not this. Whatever I'm in right now that I can't stand, depression, addiction, um, or this relationship, this body, maybe you're sick, um, Maybe you're dealing with a food addiction or some other thing that you've got going on. Whatever's going on, just not this. Whatever is not this, that's what I want. But that really doesn't help us out. If you make the definition of freedom not this, it's going to lead you to bad places. Jesus said it like this. He said, when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through the dry places. So we get rid of the unclean spirit, we get rid of the spirit of addiction, the spirit of fear, the spirit of anxiety, the spirit of whatever it is that has a hold on you. You get rid of that spirit, and he walks through dry places, seeking rest, and finding none, he saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. So the spirit comes back home and finds it all clean and tidy And he says to himself, Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Freedom cannot just be not this. When we make freedom not this, whatever else, I'm so desperate to get out of this situation, I'll take anything else. When we set ourselves up for that, that we, we have a really good chance of flying out of one cage right into another, right? So you get free from the addiction of alcohol, but in the process of just fighting this alcohol addiction, you become addicted to cigarettes or eating or anger or a whole host of other behaviors that wreck relationships in your life almost just as bad as alcohol did. Maybe... maybe um. You stop sleeping around and partying, but then you develop a problem with anger or gossip or insecurity. And the thing that you were using to medicate all of those other problems in your life, when you remove that, they just kind of continue to grow. And so then you're stuck in this other place. It's very important for you to define exactly what freedom is, or it will be very easy for me and for you to fly out of one cage right into another. So what is freedom? And I would love to just stop right here, send you guys home, and have you all meditate and ponder and think about this and journal about this all week long. What is freedom? But um, I'm afraid you might not come back next week. Okay? (laughs) So spoilers, we're going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about what freedom is. 
I may never see you again. Maybe you get busy, you don't make it back next week. Maybe something comes up in your life and you never get to answer this question. So I'm going to spend the rest of our time today explaining how Jesus defines freedom because that's who I care about. That's the the person in my life that I've chosen to follow is Jesus. He is my king. He's the one that I choose to help me out in these areas where I am stuck. And so I'm going to look at his definition. It's a church, shocker. We're going to look at Jesus' definition of what freedom is. So Jesus said this in John chapter 8, which we just read. He said this in verse 31, which then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And then this, maybe you've heard this before, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Right? And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. This is like a famous verse for pastors. We quote this like Star Wars. Um, it's, it's, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But look at verse 31. Before this famous verse, look what he says. If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And he uses a semicolon, which means he's not done with the thought. He's not done. He just doesn't put a period and be like, we're done here. Whole new thought. And he starts the next sentence with and, which means these are connected. He's continuing a thought. These two ideas are interconnected. And you can't just rip them apart, no matter how much we would want to. If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It's a connection. Jesus' definition of free is inseparable from being a disciple. Jesus' definition of what it means to be free is inseparable from what it means to be a disciple. His version of freedom is just inseparable and indistinguishable from following Him. Jesus' version of what it means to be free includes following Him. So, the next obvious question is, how is that freedom? Right? How would that be freedom? Okay, maybe if you're a Christian and you know all the Christian answers to this and you're like in you know, Sunday school and you got this down and you're like, well, of course it's freedom because Jesus is free and Jesus is awesome and I love Jesus and yeah, and I'm right there with you. But if you're not a follower of Jesus and this guy says, you gotta follow Jesus and do everything that he says and, and you know, just forget what you want and do everything that Jesus wants, you probably think, how is that free? That's, that might be a nice definition for you, Pastor Ron, but how is that freedom? How is that freedom? If I'm following you and have to keep your rules, have to listen to what you want, do what you want all the time, how is that freedom? That sounds like living at home with mom and dad. I'm done with that. I had enough of that. How is that free? Sounds like some kind of con game. You know, if you really want to be free, then do everything I tell you to do. I mean, that is what Jesus is saying. If you really want to be free, then you'll defer to me. You'll defer to Jesus. You'll listen to Jesus and follow his lead. I don't want there to be any doubt here. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, if you want to be free, then you will follow me, and you will do what I do, and go where I go. This is Jesus' version and definition of what freedom is. I don't want there to be any doubt. I don't want there to be like some kind of bait and switch, you know, where I talk about freedom and then all of a sudden, but you got to do all the Jesus stuff. No. 
And Jesus didn't do that either. He didn't try to trick us into following him. He didn't try to obfuscate or hide what he was expecting of us and calling us to. He says, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And because you're my disciples indeed, you will know the truth. And because you're my disciples and you know the truth, the truth will set you free. It's a progression. Jesus wants us to be his follower, his apprentice, which means you can't do whatever you want and still have Jesus' version of freedom. You might be able to make up your own version of freedom, but to have Jesus' version of freedom, you're going to have to do what he wants. You could do whatever you want and not have Jesus' freedom, or you could do what Jesus wants and have Jesus' freedom. There's two pieces to freedom in Jesus. Becoming a discipleship and the truth. Becoming a discipleship and the truth. In verse 32, it says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So there's, there's no freedom without becoming a disciple of Jesus in my mind and in my view. There's also no freedom without the truth. There is no freedom without the truth. And this is where things like AA and NA are fantastic because they're going to make you confront yourself with the truth. A lot of Christians, you could come to church and you could sit in the pew and I don't know your life. I don't know what all is going on. I might know some of your life. I might know some of your hobbies. I haven't been on Facebook for about a year. I get on maybe once every couple of weeks and comment or, or don't even comment. So I don't know what's, what's going on in your life, probably, unless you're in my small group and and you're telling me weekly what's going on. I don't know what you're dealing with. I'm not in your business, okay? I'm not in your stuff. And so it's easy sometimes to hide as Christians from the truth. It's easy. And if you are believing some elaborate lie, if you are believing some small lie, if you are believing some complex rationalization that allows you to do whatever you want and still call it free in Christ, then you're not walking in truth. You're not walking in truth. Because that's not truth. There's a fantastic illustration of this in the story at the beginning of this chapter in John. So let's look at that. Jesus went up unto the mountain of olives, and early in the morning he came down. What was he doing up there? He was praying, spending time with God the Father. He did that regularly. It was part of his structure in his life. So he comes down into the temple, and all the people came unto him. And he sat down, and he starts teaching. And the scribes, Jesus is teaching in the temple. All these people around, they're asking questions. He's sharing. He's telling them uh, what the Bible says and what God the Father, who God the Father is and what it means to be a disciple. And he's talking about the kingdom of God. And the scribes and Pharisees, which are the religious leaders of that time, these are the, the religious elite, they bring unto him a woman taken in adultery, in the act of adultery. She's cheating on her husband. They catch her. They pull her out of there and take her straight to Jesus. And when they had set her in the midst, let's see what's going to happen here. This is a big deal. They say to him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. We caught her. We saw it. We witnessed it. Now, listen to the trap that they set up for her, for him, for Jesus. Now, Moses in the law commands us that we should, that she should be stoned, or that such should be stoned. But what say you? And what they're saying is Moses said, if you cheat on your husband, you get someone's gonna throw rocks at you until you die. 
Now, we are trying to get rid of the rocks out front because we no longer stone people as a church. We made that vote last month. Um, it's a joke, okay. Patty, Judy, has been taking a bucket of rocks regularly, um, so I wouldn't go visit her house. I'm just saying. <laughs> just kidding. But um, in the Old Testament, if you did something wrong, then they would take you out in the middle of some like remote place, and they would all pick up rocks and start throwing them. Now, I don't think they were in a circle because then you would get hit. So the, the logistics of it, it must have had a, like a line, but then where do you get more rocks? I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> I think too much about it. But they would throw rocks at someone until they died. It's a terrible way to die, um, I'm assuming. Uh, and I don't want anything to do with it. So they bring this woman to Jesus. Now, in this culture, the Romans are the only people allowed to kill someone, allowed to, to do uh, capital punishment. The Jews are under the Roman government, and so the Roman government is the only one who could say, yes, you could kill this person for this crime. That's why they had to take Jesus to Pilate and to Herod to get the okay to crucify him. They couldn't do it. They weren't allowed. So if Jesus says, yeah, go ahead and stone her, then he is going against the Roman government. He's inciting violence against the government, and that would be bad, and the Romans would probably come and get him and kill him. If he, on the other hand, says, no, 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 Moses was wrong, <gasps> well, you can't say that. You're saying the law that God gave Moses is wrong? So what do you do? And this is exactly what they were trying to do. They were trying to get Jesus caught in this impossible situation, this catch-22, so that he would mess up, and then they could get rid of this guy who they didn't really like his teaching. And this they said, this is what the Scripture says, they said, tempting him that he might have to accuse him, that they might have to accuse him. They're going to have something against him. But Jesus instead stoops down with his finger, wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. He just pretends like he doesn't even hear them. He starts writing on the ground. I don't know if he was doodling like stick figures or what he was writing. I have some, some assumptions or some ideas about what he was writing. Maybe we'll talk about that. But he starts writing on the ground. Before we talk about what Jesus was writing and what happens next, let me ask you this. Who is free in this story? Who is free in this story? There's four groups of people. Are the religious leaders free? Does your definition include religious leaders who are caught up in all sorts of religious life? They're following all these rules, and yet here they are with this woman ruining her life Maybe she's already ruined her own life. But they're perfectly fine with shaming this woman out loud in front of people at the temple. Is that free? Or are they doing this out of insecurity? Are they doing this because they think it's the right thing to do, but they're driven by something that's not good? I, I think when I see the religious leaders in the story, I don't think they're free. I don't, if, they, if that's what freedom is, I don't want it. Let me put it that way. I don't want to be the guy that's dragging some lady and saying, let's kill her. What do you think? That's not freedom. What about the woman caught cheating? Is she free? No, she's just like physically detained. She's being shamed openly in front of these, all these people. What about the people that Jesus is teaching who are watching this? Are they free? Are they free in this situation? We're going to find out they're not. And then finally we have Jesus. We have Jesus. 
Let's read on, and we'll find out if the people that are watching are free as well. Verse 7, he says, so when they continued asking him, they just keep asking him. You know, he's writing in the ground, and they just keep bugging him. So what do we do? Do we stone her or not? Do we stone her or not? He lifts himself up, and he says to them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast the stone at her. So, whoever has not sinned, you go ahead and throw the first rock. And look what they do. He stoops back down and starts writing on the ground. I think he probably was writing their sins or categories of sin. That's my guess. Again, it's a guess. The Bible doesn't tell us what he was writing. But I think he was probably writing categories. He's probably writing anger, gossip, tithe, cheating, stealing, rebellion, jealousy. Pride, insecurity. He was probably writing all these things on the ground that these people had issues with. And when they looked at that, they're like, oh, not only that, the Holy Spirit works with Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit was probably showing them very clearly, just like He does me and He does you, exactly what our faults and failures are. So if you're perfect, go ahead, throw the first stone. And he stoops back down and starts writing. And look what they do. Does this sound like people that are free? And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, because the older we get, the more we (laughs) realize we're flawed. Beginning at the eldest unto the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. So in that group, are the people free? No. No. Their own conscience showed them, I'm not free. I have this thing in my life. I have this thing in my life. I've got this problem. So, Jesus is left with this woman. Jesus had brought truth into the mix and cut through the politics, through the rationalization. If you're okay, you've got this all figured out, then cast the first stone. And Jesus peeled back the layers, revealing the truth that there is no freedom without the truth. That there is no freedom without facing what's really going on in your life and in your heart. And this is called conviction. When we face the truth of what's going on inside of us, it's called conviction. It's the Holy Spirit of God that opens my heart and my mind up and says, Ron, you have an issue with this. Maybe nobody else sees it. Maybe you got everybody else fooled, but you have a problem with this, and it's not okay, and it's not good for you, it's not good for other people, and you know it. What are you going to do? This is conviction. It's conviction. It's a formal declaration that someone is guilty of a criminal offense made by the verdict of a jury or decision of a judge in a court of law. It's a supernatural revelation of the Spirit of God showing you your faults, revealing your brokenness, showing you your selfishness and shortcomings. And guess what? We don't like it. Nobody likes it. You probably don't like it. I don't like it. And we all have lots of creative ways of avoiding conviction. All right? We have lots of creative ways of avoiding conviction. People say, I can't go to church. If I go to church, the the walls will burn down. You ever heard that? The the ceiling will fall down. What they're saying is, I will be overwhelmed by the feelings of my own wrongness in that place. And it will feel like hypocrisy if I walk in there. And I don't want to face that. 
I don't want to face that. Because they're not as good as regular Christians at hiding conviction. At ignoring the Holy Spirit. And they're afraid what might happen if they come in here. In verse 32, Jesus said, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. There's no true freedom without conviction. This step is crucial. You have to face the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God to be free. And there's two responses to conviction. Number one, when I feel conviction, I can walk away. I could just walk away. I can numb it. I could get rid of the feeling. I could walk away. That's what most of the people did. They felt conviction, and instead of staying in the presence of Jesus, staying in this moment, hanging out to see what's going to happen, they walked away. I'm out of here. I don't like this feeling. I don't want to have to deal with this. I don't want to have to admit that I'm selfish. I don't want to have to admit that I'm wrong. I don't want to have to admit that I was a jerk or that I have a problem. Or Not only am I a jerk, but I can't fix my jerkness. Like I can't. Like, I don't want to have to admit any of this. I don't want to have to deal with it. I don't want to have to face it. I don't want to hear it from you or you, especially not my family. I don't want to deal with it, so I'm just going to walk away and eat more ice cream. That's how I choose to deal with it. You may have another way of dealing with it. Maybe you, you turn to Netflix or you turn to an angry outburst. Someone's pointing out something in a conversation, someone you love, and you just explode with anger start yelling at them and pointing fingers and you deflect that's the same as walking away i don't want to hear it i don't want to deal with it no 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 or you you physically walk away you just get out of there maybe use drugs or alcohol or some other substance to numb it i don't want to hear it i don't want to see it i don't want to see my flaw it hurts to see this it hurts to be in this place i just want not this and we won we run straight out of this cage of conviction in this moment where we feel constrained by conviction that God is telling us you're not okay. And we run directly into a cage of addiction. And all sorts of other spirals of behavior that wreck us even more. That's the first way to deal with it, to run. Lots of people are running. Maybe you're running this morning. It's time to stop running. The second way of dealing with it is this, to repent. To repent. What does it mean to repent? Look at what Jesus says to the woman here. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he has this conversation with her. She's the only one that stuck around. She's absolutely feeling conviction. There's no way she's there on the ground surrounded by all these people and not feeling just massive conviction. I have been wrong. I have done wrong. Why didn't she run away? She stuck around. And Jesus says, woman, where are those thine accusers? Where's all the people that were pointing their fingers and accusing you? Has no man condemned thee? And she says, no man, Lord. No man, Lord. She calls him Lord. She's ready to defer to him. Even in that, just those three words, no man, Lord. She's already deferring to him. Jesus says unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And Jesus does not condemn this woman. Why? Jesus hasn't sinned. Jesus hasn't done anything wrong. Jesus has every right to point at her and say, You know what you did was wrong. In fact, let me pull up a chair here and let's have a lecture. Because that's what I do with my kids. They do something wrong. I give them a lecture. They do something wrong. A little not right, and I give them a lecture. I like giving lectures. It's what I do for a living. 
<laughs> Imagine me being your dad. <laughs> right? Because that's what they need. They need the lecture. We give them the lecture. If they get the lecture, then, then I feel like I've done my part. I've told them, you know, and blah, 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 blah. No lecture. Why not? Where's the lecture? Come on, Jesus. You're being a bad dad. You got to give. She needs to hear it. You know what you did was wrong, right? Well, guess what? We all know what we did was wrong. Nobody, nobody needs to rub your nose in it. Nobody needs to rub my nose in it. My nose is raw. I've been rubbing my own, wallowing in my own shame and my own stuff. Sometimes people don't come to Christ and they don't want to repent because they're afraid of the lecture. Jesus doesn't, doesn't give a big lecture here. He says, neither do I condemn thee. Why doesn't Jesus condemn her? Why? Because Jesus didn't come to condemn anybody. In fact, in John, he says, I came not into the world to condemn the world because the world was condemned already. Jesus came to save the world, not to condemn it. It was already condemned. We're already stuck. We're already incapable of getting out of our own mess, out of our own trap, out of our own sin and our shame and our stuff. We're stuck. He doesn't have to come and be like, yeah, we get it. He came to save the world. And verse 11 is precious. Verse 11 is something to mark in your Bible, to highlight it, to memorize it, meditate on it this week. He says to her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. What is freedom? Freedom is walking with Jesus in truth. Walking with Jesus in truth in truth. You and I are really good at fooling ourselves and probably other people too. And we'll say yes to things that will take us into bondage. We'll say yes to people, places, and things that are really bad for us. And this is why Jesus' version of freedom, the only true freedom in my opinion, requires following Him. You have to follow Jesus because when you're following Jesus and we start to say yes to people, places, things, ideas that are really unhealthy healthy for us, Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, we're not going there. What are you doing? Why would we do that? No, 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 no. If you want to follow me, I'm going this way. You can't go that way. When we're walking with Jesus, then he just says, no, that's not, don't go that way. And, you're, and then we, we have like this big speech. He's like, we tell him our rationalization. But yeah, but you know, they're a friend and it'll be okay and I need to do this and I got to do this and I really feel obligated. He's like, that's all stupid lies. Like, let's just not do that. What are you thinking? Like, this is how you got in this mess. No, let's, let's just forget that. That's garbage. Stop. Jesus' version of freedom requires following him. He knows what is true, even when we're too stupid to see it. Because I'm too stupid to see it. I have evidence of this in my soul and in my life. He won't let you fool yourself. Just like a sponsor. Just like a buddy who knows what's good. He will, he will give you His Holy Spirit to guide you into all truth. In the rest of the series, we're going to be talking about the practices that we can put in place to follow Jesus consistently so we are consistently walking in truth and walking in freedom. And your first step to being free is to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. To respond. To not run away like you always do and like you're tempted to, but to respond. 
Jesus was able to forgive this woman who cheated on her husband and was caught in the very act. She didn't have to do a whole bunch of stuff first. She didn't have to prove, you know, that she really meant it. She really felt bad. He was able to forgive her. And the reason he was able to forgive her was not because the woman had something. It was because Jesus had something. Jesus died for her sins. He paid for her mistake. He paid for my mistake. He paid for your mistake. And so he can forgive because he's, took, he's taken it upon himself. He's paid the price for your sin. And Jesus is able to forgive you. So, this morning, I'm going to ask if we could bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you don't want to pray, that's up to you, but at least give yourself and other people around you some privacy. And I want to give you an opportunity to repent. Because I know with a message like this, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. That thing in your chest that feels kind of uncomfortable, and you're like, ah, I don't like that. <laughs> and he's kind of pointing out an area of your life. You need to listen to that. We think, or I, I won't say we, I often think if I lean into this feeling of the Holy Spirit, of God pointing out something, if I lean into it, then He's going to crush me. Because if He sees who I really am, He's going to reject it. He's going to throw me out. And then I will know exactly how worthless I am. But that is a lie. That is a lie from the other guy, from Satan. The truth is, when I lean into this feeling of conviction, no matter how uncomfortable it is, and I face my own faults, my own shortcomings, my own hang-ups, my own sin and brokenness, and I look at it with Jesus. He wraps His arm around me and says, I love this too. I don't love what this is producing, but you just see a dirty room in your soul that could never be redeemed but I see a remodel. I love even this. Because I made you. And I'm willing to purchase this too. I'll buy it. I want it. Even our brokenness, even the ugly stuff, Jesus wants it. And he will receive us and as we follow Him, He will renovate your soul. Even those places. But you have to walk in truth. You can't shut the door. You can't lock Him out. You can't run away. You've got to face it. So this morning, I want, I want to give you an opportunity to let Jesus see the, the bad place. To invite God into this space of your life where you don't share with anybody. Your sin, your brokenness, your mess, and say, God, I'm just opening all the doors. I'm not just throwing clothes under the bed and in the closet and keeping it all buttoned up so it looks like I cleaned. No, God, I'm opening everything. I'm going to show you the mold in the basement. I'm going to show you the brokenness in my heart, the lies that I believe, the little tricks that I do to get out of the thing that I know I should excuse my behavior. I'm going to show it all to you. 
all of it on the table, and I'm going to just stand here and stay here and wait. Just like that woman did. I'm going to wait for you to speak. And if you want to do that this morning, I want to pray with you. Because God will speak to you. And as you face the stuff in your life, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, God's going to work in that place. Maybe you've never asked God into any part of your life like this. Maybe this is the very first time you've, you've asked Jesus into any part of your life. If that's you, I want to pray with you first because this is a big, big day. This is your first, first encounter with Jesus. If that's you, then I want you to pray with me. Say, dear Jesus, I confess this is a problem. And fill in the blank. My sin, my brokenness, I confess it to you. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Please come into my heart and lead me. Lead me to freedom. Now if you prayed that prayer this morning, this was your first time, your first encounter with Jesus, would you just slip up your hand and say, Pastor Ron, I pray with you just now. I pray with you. Thank you. Now for the rest of us who have never asked Christ in our life, maybe, or who have asked Christ in our life, who've walked with Jesus, and you have this area that is that the Holy Spirit is convicting you of, and you haven't dealt with, I want to pray with you this morning. And if you'll pray with me, maybe you have different words, maybe you have another way of saying it, but I want to give you a baby step. I want to make it simple. This is how I pray when I'm convicted. Dear God, you see this, this thing in me and fill in the blank. You see this, this brokenness, whatever your blank is, this gossip, this, this anxiety that consumes me, this insecurity, this pride, this anger, this addiction, this unhealthy craving for drama. Whatever your thing is, God, you see this pornography, you see this alcohol, you see that I, I can't quit smoking, you see that I can't quit doing this thing and it's consuming me, it's controlling me, and I can't get free. That's our first part. We confess that this thing is an issue. And we confess that we can't get free from it. And then, we pray the next part. God, I believe you can do this. I believe you have the truth and you have the power to defeat this and to walk me through transformation and renovation in this area of my life. And then finally, the third part. So God, I invite you into even this place. I offer it up to you. I feel ashamed. I feel dirty holding this in my hands in the open and offering this to you. And I'm scared to death. You don't want anything to do with it. But I give it to you. I lay it at your feet. I give it into your hands. Please take this. And I'm willing to follow you and repent. I'm willing to change whatever I need to in my life to walk in freedom in this area. And I trust you.
Now, if you prayed that this morning, if you have met conviction this morning, and you have asked God to, to deal with it in your life, would you just raise your hand so I kind of know where we're at? That is awesome. Hands all over the place. You are not alone. You are not alone. This should be a regular thing in your life. Because as soon as you get rid of the big one, there's going to be another one and another one. And this is the process of sanctification and growth. So be very excited that you have taken this step. It is awesome, and I'm proud of you. Let's close with prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for showing up today. Thank you so much for speaking to us and sending your Holy Spirit and pointing out things that need to change. Thank you for the many people this morning who answered conviction with repentance. And God, I pray that you would show us and reveal to us the next step to transformation in our life. Help us to not just keep this to ourselves. Give us the courage to tell someone else. Maybe it's a pastor, small group leader, disciple, discipler, someone that we trust to share with them, God has convicted me of this and I have invited him to work on it. Because that accountability changes everything. God, we thank you. Thank you for showing up and working in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if we could have our ushers come forward, please. Each week we receive an offering. If this is um, your first time here, or you're visiting with us, we'd really love um, for you to just let us know how your experience was. You can fill out the card and throw it in there, or text us this week, email us, or maybe I'll give you a call. Let the person who brought you know. Um, what God did in your life this week. If this is your home church, this is your opportunity to give, to fulfill your responsibility, to uh, support the local ministry here, and to honor God. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we pray that you would receive this offering as we give our tithes, our missions, and offerings. We pray that you would receive it for your work and your will. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're like me, then you can give online. I always give online at cbcfamily.church. Just click the give button. Um, I set mine up automatic, so I never have to forget. Don't forget we have ice cream at the ice cream truck. We're going to sing one song, and then we'll be done.